as a pastor. Uh, God saved me when I was a freshman in high school. And uh, <clears throat> all through high school and Bible college and cemetery, I mean seminary, um, <clears throat> I really struggled with prayer because I had this preconceived notion what I've been taught about what prayer was. And I knew based upon the definitions that I was given about prayer, you know, heads bowed, hands folded, eyes closed, on your knees, in a quiet place, nobody else around, prayer request list, keeping track of how God answers the prayer, and all these things, I really felt guilty about my prayer life. I had this burden, this religious burden on my shoulders for decades about my prayer life because, you know, some of you may not know this about me, but I'm severely ADD. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Marshall. Not only that, I don't like being alone. I like being around people. And, you know, quiet time? Do I strike you as a quiet time kind of guy? I'm a loud time kind of guy, you know what I mean? And so for decades, I really struggled with this burden on my shoulders of what my prayer life was. I heard about some of these people, oh, you know, they're prayer warriors. You know, they pray three or four hours a day. And I thought, three or four hours? I can't even sleep three or four hours. How in the world am I supposed to pray for three or four hours? You know, prayer request list. I hate paper and pencils. I can't write any. I hate writing stuff down. And so I struggled with prayer for a long time. But then... About 20 years ago, there was something that changed in my life, and I'm going to share that with you at the end of this message this week. But guys, what my goal is for this new series, it's about four or five weeks long, is I'm hoping that we can change your perspective of what prayer is. Because to be quite honest, and don't, look, some of you are going to have a lot of, I mean, you have a lot of reason to be mad at me anyway. But this series, especially this week, you might have a lot more reasons, but give me grace, all right? Can I just say this right now? Prayer as I had known it until about 20 years ago was kind of boring. See, some of y'all are saying, I can't believe you'd say that, but inside you're saying, yeah, he's right. Because prayer, as way we have defined it, is just a small portion of what prayer really is. I'm not saying that prayer can't be some of the things we've learned. It certainly is. But it's so much more. And what we have done, I believe, in the American church specifically, is we have really limited and narrowed what our prayer life is. And so that we carry this guilt. Not only do we carry this guilt about our prayer life, we're missing out upon how much fun prayer can actually be. So this series is called Fun with Prayer. I'm hoping that at the end of it we can begin to look at prayer and when we think of prayer, we think of confetti and party favors and stuff like that. <laughs> this week, pray without ceasing? Are you serious? You see, when somebody first taught me this passage, you know, pray without ceasing, I was really scared of it. Because my perspective of prayer was head bowed, hands folded, Eyes closed, on your knees. My knees hurt after five minutes. I don't know about y'all. And I began to really struggle with this pray without ceasing. Because, you know, I'd be like, okay, dear God, thank you for this day. And I'd be praying. And I think, okay, I'm really, I'm knocking it out here. I'm praying. And I look up, it's been two minutes. Oh, man, I got 23 hours, 58 minutes to go. What am I going to do? And so in the course of that, I began to learn about what it means to pray. Specifically, pray without ceasing. 
And if you have a pen, I'm just going to give you a name and a book that I want you guys to look up on Amazon. It's about 90 pages long. It's really short. It's called Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Look it up. If you're really interested in, in making this series as much as it can be, I want you to buy that book. It's written by a monk who, in the middle of his monkedness, right, one day recognized that enjoying the presence of God was so much more than just the prayer he participated in in the monastery. So anyway, the practice of the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. You can look it up. It's, it's, a, it's a very well-known book. Okay. Some questions that I, as a pastor, have been asked about prayer. And you can put in parentheses, see some of the questions that I have myself have asked. But, you know, I ask them, but now people ask me all the time. First question. Why should you pray if God already knows what's going to happen? It seems like a waste of time, right? I mean, that's a question that people ask. Why do we pray for things if God is in control? It doesn't seem to make any sense. If God is in control anyway, can our prayers really change the outcome? Like if somebody is sick and going to die, or, or if somebody is going to be playing in a sporting event and we don't want them to get hurt, or you know, if somebody is, is looking for a certain type of job, and well, can we really change the outcome with prayer? It's a good question, right? I mean, it goes to the core of what we consider prayer to be. I mean, if we can't change the outcome, then why bother? It's an interesting question. The next question. I would pray more if it wasn't so boring. Am I a bad Christian? This is something that I struggled with. You know, my, my perceived definition of prayer really went opposite of what my personality was. Now, some of you are these reflective, quiet, intelligent, very, you know, good people. I'm not very reflective. I'm not very quiet. And I'm not very intelligent. So I struggle a long time with, with what I perceive to be the boringness of a life of prayer. So I'm just telling you how my perspective was. When I heard somebody say, life of prayer, my thought was, man, that's not for me. And it was a shame. Because I thought it was kind of boring. Especially when I was in high school and college. Three hours of prayer, Florida State football game. 30 minutes of prayer. New Seinfeld episode. That was in the 90s. Marshall says Florida State's garbage, so I should stick with prayer. But All right. Another, another question I've asked. Should I feel guilty because I don't pray for people enough? Right? That's kind of a tough one. We'll get to that in a minute. But these are some questions I've been asked about prayer. And frankly, if you're honest with yourself, aren't they a bit troubling to you that I even asked them? Here's some incorrect motivations for prayer. We're going to lay out some things that I think are wrong with our motivation. Okay? First thing is sometimes we pray as part of our personal ladder of success spiritually. Like, for example, you know, once you're a believer, right, you can measure how you're progressing by how much time you spend in prayer. At least prayer defined as we know it, which is kind of this more reflective, quiet aspect of prayer, which, again, is certainly part of a life of prayer, but it's such a small percentage, especially if we're supposed to, what, pray without ceasing? I mean, do we believe the Scripture when the Scripture says, pray without ceasing? So we know, clearly, just logically, prayer has to be more than quiet aloneness in a closet. 
And so what begins to happen is we feel like the more that we pray, the better words that we use when we pray, the longer our prayers are, the more people we pray for, it seems like we're climbing this ladder of success spiritually. And that's the wrong motivation for prayer. It's the wrong one. Another time, another way that we use a wrong motivation for prayer is it's kind of like a a pseudo-spiritual ritual. Like sprinkling a holy water on an event or activity. Crossing yourselves. Folding your hands. Some religions, they rub Buddha's belly. And basically what happens is we go through these rituals in hopes that our prayer can give this, unlock this some special secret blessing that otherwise we were going to miss out on. You know, look, before we go on this trip, we better pray or else we're going to get in an accident or run out of gas or blow a tire. Before we start this football game, we better pray or else we're going to fumble a lot. Right? Before we eat, we better pray because otherwise we might get food poisoning. And sometimes people feel this obligation to pray because they feel like, okay, right before I do this activity, I want to unleash some hidden special secret blessing that God is withholding from me unless I do this ritualistic prayer right before I do it. Now, is there something wrong with praying before an activity or an event? Of course not. But if your motivation is this, okay, before I get into this, just in case I missed something, God, because, you know, he can be this way, right? God can be a little bit, you know, punitive. So I want to make sure I talk to him just enough to make sure I get this special blessing that he might be hiding. The father of lights doesn't hide blessings, guys. Remember we talked about that in James? Every good and perfect comes from above from the father of lights, whom there's no shadow from turning. And so one of the wrong motivations for prayer is unlocking a special secret blessing that otherwise we might miss. Meaning that our blessings are based upon our works, kind of. That's the wrong motivation for prayer. The ritualistic side of prayer. I think sometimes that we have this motivation that our prayer has to look religious. Nothing wrong with having prayer that looks religious. Like, for example, I noticed when we were praying for the deacons and we were praying before worship and all those things, we bowed our head and we closed our eyes because that's kind of a... Nothing wrong with that. But does prayer have to be that way? You see, prayer is so much more than ritual. Prayer is so much more than a pattern of what you say. And we're going to talk about one of the lessons in this series is the spiritual verbal habits that we fall into. And it seems like there was a pattern in my life where I always started my prayer, Dear God, thank you for this day. I didn't even know I was saying it. But it was a ritualistic habit. And we get into these ritualistic habits where we feel like, okay, I have to fold my hands. I remember when I was a kid and I'd pray before I go to bed that I would have to, you know, when you're a kid, you don't fold your hands like this. It's like this. Right? And so you pray. And, and, and so I begin to s- develop these habits in my prayer life that became ritualistic and frankly became a burden. I mean, think about this. If you're supposed to pray without ceasing and your eyes are closed, that's going to be a disaster. Especially on Tamiami Trail. 
I love using that. That's, that, that never gets old, does it, Tammy Amy Trail? It's just, it's always there for me to reach back and. All right. Sometimes we do it to fulfill some sort of public expectation of spirituality. I fall into this all the time. Like, for example, I've met several of you for lunch at Simon's. It's my favorite lunch restaurant. It's right up the road from my house, and it's, they got good food and everything there. And, and sometimes I'm not sure whether or not I'm supposed to pray before. I, okay, listen. That Santa Fe wrap is delicious. I get it every time. They bring it out. They bring me by a bottle of ketchup. I get a cup of black bean soup, right, Bruce? That's my order. I get that. And, man, I love that stuff. And it comes out. And don't judge me. But sometimes the last thing on my mind is, dear God, thank you for this day. It's, man, this sandwich looks good. <laughs> but sometimes I stop because I don't want to offend the person I'm with. Okay, because I am a pastor. And if I don't pray, they're going to think, wow, I'm not coming to his church anymore. And so sometimes I do my prayer because I feel like maybe it's what you guys expect from me. How often do you guys have a motivation for prayer because, well, if I don't, it's not going to look very good. You see, if part of our motivation for prayer is to fulfill some sort of public display of spirituality, that's the wrong motivation for prayer. How is that fun? How is that enjoyable? Now, that doesn't mean we can't pray together in public. That can be a blast. But if your burden and your motivation is, if I don't pray, it's not going to look very good, that's no fun. That's a burden. That's surfacy. <clears throat> Confession time. Before I eat, it's probably the least focused spiritual time in my life. Especially if it's a triple meat, hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars. Or raisin toast or turkey bacon, anything like that. Um, and so I struggle, right? And so I'm going to confess to you that there have been times where I have prayed with some of you before I eat. And I just wanted to get the prayer over with. Because it was a burden. How do we escape that trap? How do we escape that? I mentioned this a little bit already, but this genie effect, right? How many of y'all are familiar with that famous line in Christianity, pray for me? And non-Christians, by the way, use it. <clears throat> it's thrown around like a pair of dirty socks into the laundry hamper sometimes. Hoping somehow, if we ask somebody to pray for us, the things we've struggled in our life, the mistakes we made, somehow those dirty socks will come out clean and new. And now, how often because of a pseudo-spiritual obligation, you say, when somebody says, pray for me, you say, oh, I will. But you forget. You feel guilty about that? I know I do. Have you ever told somebody that asked you to pray for them that you would? But you never even spoke their name to God in a conversation? Or is that just me? Yes, I've done that. Have you guys or no? Am I the only one? You guys ever said, oh, I'll pray for you and didn't do it? You never have? <laughs> You're a great woman. <laughs> have you ever told somebody you would pray for them? Okay, I've never done this since I've known you. Okay, since I've been here, I haven't. But have you ever told somebody you'd pray for them just to shut them up because you didn't want to hear about their problems anymore? 
I went there. Oh, I went there. <laughs> Be honest now, seriously. Somebody's on the phone with you and they're talking on and on and on. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Okay, thank you. Oh my gosh, that person. Ugh. Just me? Okay, I'm the only sinner. Okay, what about this? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying there isn't people who have the gift of prayer and the desire and passion for prayer and they love it, especially the reflective quiet type, which I seem to really struggle with, right? As an ADD, outgoing, personality, kind of driven, you know, type A kind of guy. You know, there are some people who really do enjoy praying two, three, four hours a day in a quiet room. That's cool. But we've gotten this this logo, this, this title that we've given him, Prayer Warrior. Like somehow, if you have something in your life, you know, and you can pray for it, but if you enlist a prayer warrior, well then, yeah, now things are going to work out a lot better. Somehow a prayer warrior has this super secret radio wave channel to God that you don't have. They have this special gift. And their prayers are answered at a higher percentage rate than yours? You know, listen, I'm going to a prayer warrior. This guy's got an 85% success rate. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, I'm down in the low 40s. But this guy, you want something done? He's the fixer. Usually, and don't get, me, don't get offended, usually though, in my experience, the prayer warriors have been the, you know, the seasoned citizen older ladies in the church and that's just the perspective I have of what a prayer warrior is. And you go to them and, you know, how can God turn down an older lady? She's there four or five hours a day praying. He's going to listen and he's going to give you the money you're asking for. Or the job or the Mercedes. Are they prayer warriors because they spend more time than the average Christian? Or because they've discovered the acceptable mode of prayer? Why do we turn to them more than we turn to our own relationship with Heavenly Dad? Hey, listen. Dad likes you better. Can you talk to him about this? Now, that works with siblings maybe sometimes. But not with our Heavenly Dad, who's perfect and there's no variance or shadow from turning, who gave his life for all his children and loves them all equally. Somehow a prayer warrior has a better chance than you. Again, I'm not saying you can't have prayer warriors in your life but the prayer warrior is not more powerful than you they're sinners too by the way i don't care if you spend five hours a day in prayer you're a sinner do we subconsciously think that it increases our chances of a positive response from god because they pray more frequently in the right preferred religious mode the last one to increase our spiritual status another wrong motivation for prayer <clears throat> some of the words that we use I've heard more of these and thys and thous and amens in my Christian lifetime to fill a dictionary five times over are those words more godly? You know, listen, if you're praying, throw a thee or a thy or a thou in. God, oh, what did you say? Oh, thee and thy. Okay, let me see what you got over here. God comes over here and listens a little better. 
I'm sorry, I can't answer it. You didn't say amen. At the end of it, you didn't put the, 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 the Jesus period, the amen. Are these words more effective? Do they enhance the hearability of our prayers? Yes, I made the word hearability up, but you get my point, right? Is it like some sort of official heavenly language? I mean, how do you say thee or thy in Swahili? I mean, are they out of luck? And then, you know, maybe there was a time in my life where I'm confessing to you where I really tried to be this disciplined prayer guy and I had a prayer list going. And it was pretty lengthy, you know, because I have a lot of people that would come to me and ask me for prayer. You know what began to happen? I began to brag about it sometimes. Well, that's not good. You see, what's happened is prayer has become a big pseudo-spiritual game of pin the tail on the donkey for us. And there's this concept of prayer that God has ordained, that God has made, that God has created so that we might enjoy greater aspects of our relationship with Him. Our relationship, by the way, which is based upon nothing that we do, but based upon what Christ did for us on the cross. He paid the price. He did all the work. We were dead. We had no relationship. He lifts us up, according to Ephesians 2, makes us alive seats us next to Him, and fills us with life, and fills us with the Spirit of God. And then He says, and there's this opportunity for you to interact with me, and it's called prayer. And we've pinned so many things on it that have weighted prayer down, and it turns it into a burden, and it turns it into a huge guilt trip for so many of us. Maybe not for some of you, but I'm being honest. Prayer has been a huge guilt trip in my spiritual life because I didn't pray enough according to the definition of what prayer is. And I remember there was a time in my life where I'd say, okay, I'm going to a God with a prayer request, and I'd pray it in a sentence, and I'd say, well, that's not enough. I better come up with more sentences. What, does God need more explanation? Isn't he pretty smart? Matter of fact, the scripture says God knows what our prayer is before we even utter it. So much has been pinned to this prayer thing that is that is weighted prayer down. And now, for many of us, maybe not for some of you, for many of us, this prayer thing has just been thrown on our shoulders like a big yoke. And it's burdensome. And it can be boring. And it can be painful. And it's filled with, because of our misperceptions and our definition of failure. See, if prayer is motivated by the things we just talked about, it's going to be pretty unfulfilling and insufficient. So, if prayer is motivated and characterized by these things, no wonder so many people find their prayer life unfulfilling, ineffective, or insufficient. We can see that. So what should motivate us? What should cause us to reach out to God with that relationship? I'm going to read you a passage. It's what changed my life when it came to prayer. God gave me this passage 20 years ago, one summer at my parents' house, and it totally changed how I looked at a life of prayer. And we're going to talk more about it next week. Oh God, you are my God. 
Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Thus while I live... I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate, you in the, meditate on you in the night because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Guys, that's prayer. At night, during the day when you live, in church, Outside of church. And the scripture says my soul is satisfied. I know this. The way I looked at prayer before was not very satisfying. But God transformed that. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to be sharing some things that I hope will free you up to love and enjoy prayer more. Because believe it or not, you can have a blast with prayer. 